Good evening, church. Today's reading is from Daniel's, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, and all of Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And now Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, the treasurers, and the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the, a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at the, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the song of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought the, these men before the king. King Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, 
Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace be heated seven times more than it usually is, than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. These men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of fire killed those, who men, those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, he answered. And he said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the, <coughs> of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, and their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted him and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks, <coughs> uh, that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good evening, church. As we, as we gather to worship in, in the midst of another change in the government regulations and all that is going, going on in the world, we thank God for our candidates who have decided to publicly declare their decision to follow Christ before God and all of us here together in this, in this room through the act of baptism. And as I was praying and thinking about the significance of baptism, we see the different imageries that is used to describe the change in a person's life when they become a Christian. There is the washing away of sin, the death of the old life and the resurrection into a, into a new one. But as I was thinking about all these ways that describe the change in a believer's life, the one thing that came to mind was the idea of a change in citizenship. All throughout Scripture, we see the idea of coming out of the world and living as a citizen of heaven, of the kingdom of God, while living in a lost and sinful world. Paul said in Philippians 3, verses 20 to 21, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Peter tells the believers to live as sojourners and exiles when he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You see, baptism is not just a symbol of becoming a new creation, but living as that new creation in the midst of a broken and sinful world. A man named Leonard Ravenhill said it best when he said this, The greatest miracle that God can do today is to take an unholy man out of an unholy world, make him holy, then put him back into that unholy world and keep him holy in it. Which is, why when, which is why I was brought to this passage in Daniel 3. If we look back, we see in 2 Kings uh, chapter 24 that after the Babylonians had attacked Jerusalem and plundered the temple, and they, <coughs> they exiled a large number of the Israelites. And among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. In Daniel chapter 1, we see Daniel refusing to eat the food that was against God's commands in the Torah. And then later in chapter 2, we see King Nebuchadnezzar being bothered by dreams. God gives Daniel the revelation for both what the king's dream was and what it meant, which led him to, being re to, to receiving honor and praise from the king. In chapter 3, the king set up, sets up a golden image for all the country to see and decrees that everyone within hearing range of the musical instruments that would play is to bow down and worship this golden image that had been set up, and that if anyone were to disobey this order and not bow down, they were going to face the death penalty by being thrown into the fiery furnace. And you see, our world operates today in a very similar principle. We see the shift in the tides of attitudes towards everything, from our attitudes towards money and materialism, sexuality, and anything that we might hear from the media and the entertainment industry. They have become the world's golden figures that everyone is expected to bow down to or suffer the consequences. Yet we see in these three men an example of what it means to stand firm in their allegiance to God and to only worship Him. So how do we do the same? How do we live as exiles in the midst of a broken and sinful world, following in the example of these three men? I've got three I words for us to remember from these principles as we look into these stories. Right? And the first one is this. The first I word is the word identity. An, ident an identity found in God. You see, this account on da in Daniel chapter 3 is pretty, it's a pretty common story for, for Sunday school. Very often it is used as a lesson on how to handle peer pressure. I remember as a child watching a Christian cartoon called Veggie Tales. Some of us might, might remember this, right? And there was, an there was an episode that was called Rack, Shack, and Benny because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are hard for children to remember. And any of us who, who've watched this episode would, know, would well know that the story of, <coughs> the, the story of, of that 
And any of us who know this story would know that, um, would know this story. What is often overlooked, however, is the fact that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not the real names of these three men. You see, the names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the names given by the Babylonian captors and that were forced upon them at the time of their exile. All of them, in fact, were statements of worship towards the Babylonian gods. Shadrach means at the command of Aku, the moon god. Meshach means who is like the god Aku. And Abednego means slave of the god Nebo. Their real names, however, were Hananiah, meaning the Lord is gracious, Mishael, meaning who is like God, and Azariah, meaning the Lord helps. Now, why is this important? Why is the difference in the names such a big deal? Because their names marked their identity. Their names marked their relationship with God. Who they were was marked by God's call on their lives. This is why so often in Scripture, when we see God call someone to a new season or a new life, He changes their name. And naturally, the Babylonians did not like this and forced and made them take upon, these, take upon themselves these new names. Their actions, however, showed that they chose to live by the identities that God had given them and not the ones given to them by their captors. They chose to live according to the names that God had called them and not by the names given to them by, by their surrounding culture. In this life, we live as sojourners and exiles, as Peter says. And the world will try and dictate who we should be and what our gods should be. Now, this may not be other religions, but these other gods can come in the form of the world's idols, such as materialism, sexual immorality, vanity and pride. The choice then is for us to decide which names we choose to live by. It takes a deliberate, conscious choice to remember who it is that God has called us to be. And, this, and because it takes a deliberate, conscious choice, this brings us to the second I. Wait, huh? Sorry. To be his children, right? And this brings us to the second I, which is intention. Intention to honor God. From the very beginning of their captivity, the desire of the Babylonians was to pull, <coughs> to, to pull the Israelites away from living as God had commanded them and to cause them to live like the Babylonians, seeing that the king had ordered the eunuchs to educate them in the literature and language of the Chaldeans. In exchange, they were going to receive a portion of the king's food and wine. It actually seems like it would be a pretty good deal. A three-year education with food and lodging provided would be a safe and secure, <clears throat> would be safe, secure in their position as captives and the logical thing to do. In chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar decides to tell, <clears throat> to tell the people to worship by force, threatening the entire kingdom with death. 
Either way, the plan was to pull people away from living according to the commands of the God of Israel, either by seducing them with the pleasure of food and drink or by threatening them with death. In both instances, these men stayed steadfast in their desire to honour God. Like I read in chapter 1 verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. The word there is that he, de- he resolved that he would not defile himself. Now, anyone who has ever tried dieting, whether for vanity or health reasons, will tell you that it can often be something that tests your resolve. Having the willpower to not give in to your desire for the pleasure in whatever food you may want to indulge in. In the same way, it is very easy to be tempted to stray away from God's design for our lives when we are faced with the temptations of pleasure, convenience, and comfort. Rather than reading our Bibles and praying in the morning, we are tempted to sleep in for just that extra hour. Rather than setting aside time to come to church, we are tempted to just listen to a podcast at whatever time feels convenient or easy for us. And granted that the same, granted the present circumstances are an exception to the norm, but in our regular everyday lives, do we live with the deliberate intention to honour God, to put Him first in every area of our lives, with our relationships, with our bodies, with our money. We need to make the intentional, deliberate choice to follow God no matter the cost. So the first I, identity. Having your identity found in God and choosing to live as His child and live as a as a citizen of his kingdom in the midst of a broken and sinful world. The second I, intention to honour God. Choosing and making that deliberate choice to live a life that, <clears throat> that honours him. And which brings us to the last I, and what I would call illogical faith. Now, this is a very... This is a term that I have to use very carefully, but I'll make some some clarifications later on. Now, in Singapore, as a typical Asian society, we are very good at obeying rules, right? Singaporeans, we tend to be law-abiding citizens with with the exception of a few here and there. And generally, anyone who who doesn't will tend to be shamed online. Now, we are very good at obeying rules and not rocking the boat. And we plan our life steps from school to career and base the large majority of our decisions on pragmatism and practicality. And while there may not seem like there is anything inherently wrong with that, it very often does not align with God's call for us to live a life laid down for the cause of His kingdom. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 25, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
Jesus calls us to not hold on to ideas of self-preservation, but to follow Him no matter the cost for the sake of ultimately glorifying Him. You see, that's what drove these men to do things that in the normal human mind would seem illogical. To turn down the royal selection of food and drink and to not bow down and be sentenced to death would make no sense to a person who bears no minds to the importance of following God. But these men saw honouring God as their highest priority. They were filled with faith and boldness to say in verse 16 to 18, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You see, we are called to live lives of faith, trusting God even when the world thinks that we are being illogical for doing so. Now, for the majority of us, we will never be faced with a life-threatening situation in our pursuit of living the Christian life. But even simple things like giving our tithes and offerings can often be seen by the world as foolish. Now, I want to clarify that this does not mean that faith is separate from logic and that living by faith does not mean throwing reason and logic out of the window. It means that you make your decisions based on the character, nature, and command of God, knowing who He is and what He can do, which actually should be the most logical thing because God truly is all-knowing and all-powerful. However, to a world that does not know God, it will very likely be seen as illogical. You see, our faith is not in ourselves and our own abilities, but in God who ultimately provides and takes care of us. You see, this ultimately gives God the opportunity to show His work in our lives, which becomes a great witness to those around us. You see, for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, this came in the form of the fourth figure, the angel or <clears throat> the person who was shining like the son of a god, according to, according to, to, to Nebuchadnezzar's officials, who saved their lives. Their act of faith brought an opportunity for God to come and work, which later caused King Nebuchadnezzar to end up giving glory to God and setting a law against anyone who would defame their faith. Now, as we look in this story, we should, all be, we should all aspire to have this kind of faith, where God read, <clears throat> faith in God, where we radically trust in Him with every area of our lives, in such a way that nobody will be able to deny God's hand working in it. So church, as we've looked at this, as we've looked at this text, and as we celebrate with, the, with, with our candidates, let us all remember the call on, on our lives to live as victorious exiles, firm in our God-given identity, intentionally honouring God, 
and living by faith even when the world deems it as illogical. Because that is the call for us to live as citizens of His kingdom in the midst of a broken and sinful world. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for, indeed, this message about what it means to live as exiles and sojourners in the midst of a, of, of a world that tempts to pull us away from you. And God, we thank you that even as we celebrate the baptism of these candidates and we are reminded of, indeed, your, uh, <clears throat> your call for us to live within this world, but not of it. Lord, that we will not bow down to, to the pressures and the temptations of this world, but we will indeed live lives as you have called us to and stand firm in the faith that you have given to us. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.